1: Score, the podcast. The only show taking you inside the studios of the world's most celebrated composers and musicians.
0: Coming to you from Santa Monica, this is Score, the podcast. We're inside Arata Studios. I'm your host, Kenny Holmes, alongside my co-host, Robert Kraft. Arata
2: Studios, it's a wonderful name for the room that Steve Jablonski works in. He's our guest this week, and he told us that Arata is a Japanese word that means new and fresh. So we're going to be welcoming Steve in just a minute.
0: Uh, we're also joined every week by our executive producer, Matt Schrader. Hey there, guys. Hey, hey. hey. And uh, as Robert mentioned, we're really excited about our guest today. Uh, he's the composer for many of Michael Bay, big director uh, movies like the Transformer series, uh, The Island, Pain and Gain. Also, he works a lot with Peter Berg. You know his uh, music from Deepwater Horizon, Lone Survivor, Battleship. Uh, he also did uh, Jordan Peele's Keanu, which I freaking love that movie. It's so <laughs> funny. Um, and also, there's a new Netflix movie that he scored called Game Over Man with the Workaholics crew. Nice. Which is, I haven't seen it yet, but I heard it's, I heard it's hilarious. Uh, Should be a, great, he, Steve. He's a huge also working talent. on a on a new blockbuster that comes out in July with Dwayne the Rock Johnson called Skyscraper, which I just watched the trailer for. July thirteenth looks action packed. He's award winning composer Steve Jablonsky. Also yeah. in today's episode, we go behind the score with the Oscar winning duo of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Of yeah. course, Trent Reznor, the front man for Nine Inch Nails, mm-hmm. and. Um, we're also going to be playing Name That Score with Ooh. Steve, and another chance for our listeners to win a prize. What's the uh, topic today, sports
1: Matt? Sports movies. Sports. Nice. Some of the great classic sports movies. There's uh, uh, just some great ones on this list, and, and some he may be familiar
2: with. How cool. I so many great sports movies. I'm trying to think some of my faves.
0: Hope you'll get to them. All right. Well, uh, I do want to move on to uh, Matt and I went and saw Ready Player One. Nice. Uh, together. And uh, w- with a group, it wasn't a date so much, but <laughs> um, okay. we watched it in the uh, Dolby cinema, which it, I mean, if you're going to watch a movie with, with the sound effects and the score like that movie, that more and more of those popping up that are just, oh, it's... it's the
1: best experience to watch a a, a movie, the laser projection. And yeah. The...
0: And it's not just the audio, but like when they show you the, the regular black versus real black and it's they're like don't worry the projector's still on it looks like you're in an empty dark room but it's still on right that. the contrast just is crazy it's crazy. It's, it's crazy but it's such a great great
2: room to watch a movie
0: i don't know if it's a good sign that you're
2: talking more about the room than the movie <laughs> <laughs> well the movie was good the, too. Mo-
0: the movie was visually and sonically stunning it, it was just it was like being on a ride it was hard to explain. Like it was almost like you. It felt like you put the 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 VR helmet on and you were in that world. I kind of left feeling like I did after watching Avatar in three D for the first time, where it was like regular world's kind of boring. Right. Something <laughs> groundbreaking
1: in in all of this stuff. It's a, there's a lot of action. There's a lot of CGI and a lot of you know really really groundbreaking stuff a lot of movement i can't believe it must have taken them forever just yeah. the graphics on that stuff and
2: how was mr Silvestri's score it oh, was great
0: it's great yeah two-time oscar nominee uh alan Silvestri did the score and i believe this is only the second time spielberg has strayed away Yeah, the color from...
1: purple with quincy jones is the first one that i think he did without john williams right um, and
0: then uh bridge of spies with Thomas Newman. Right, I forgot about that, a couple of years ago. Yeah, so um, Spielberg, of course, I think he always wants to have John Williams, but they were doing the post, and uh, there just there just wasn't time. So what happened was uh, Spielberg gave Sylvester the movie and said, hey, I'm wrapping up this, uh, the post with, with Williams, and we'll get to this in a bit, but go ahead and get started. The movie has so many Easter eggs in it of, of little hints at different, nostalgic moments, including Back to the Future, which Silvestri scored. So he had a little bit of uh, his own flavor already connected to the movie, which is pretty cool. And actually, I read an article that said uh, when they first sat down and and Spielberg saw the first cue that they performed with an orchestra, he stood up and yelled, sold. (laughs) And Silvestri, I mean, Silvestri, who's a, a pro and a legend, to, he, I, I imagine he still had some nerves working with Spielberg for the first time, and, and to hear sold is probably a pretty cool moment, and I think they hugged it out after that. So. Wow, how great. Um, and it's interesting to point out, too, that Silvestri's also scoring uh, Avengers. Yeah, um, Infinity War, which comes out this weekend. Right, right, and it's a kind of another example of taking multiple elements... Of you know, with all the different Avenger themes that have been done by different composers, and and wrapping them hmm. into yeah. one score, that seems like it would be a difficult process to kind of keep it original, but also make it your own. And um... well,
2: Alan is one of those towering talents. We've done a number of pictures together, and he's the guy that when you're in a pinch, you want to turn to Alan and say, "Can you either figure out what they were saying that they didn't like, or can you figure out how to solve this?" problem that no one seems to be able to solve. He's the guy you want in that situation. He says, wait right there. And he comes back the next day and has always knocked it out. He's really
0: tremendous. Also, composer Ennio Morricone, he announced that he's doing his final live concert and it'll be uh, in London on November 26th. It's crazy to think, though, that he's 88 years old. And I was looking at the concert schedule. He's he's doing like, I think, 12 or something concerts just in the month of June at 88 years old I mean and and they're not just in one building he's going all over Europe that's got to be so taxing to still do it but um, I was reading this this article, and he, he he's quoted as saying, I really like conducting my music in concerts because I'm convinced it's not just for films. It has its own life. So he he feels that it doesn't need to be married with, with the film, and that I think that's more and more what we're seeing with live concerts.
2: And I actually had the experience of exactly what you just described, which is hearing Ennio Morricone music live without the picture, and it was because of an accident an actual mistake that I had made in Rome, I went to uh, work with Ennio, very, very lucky to go work with Ennio, when Warren Beatty was working on and directing the movie Bullworth. And, oh, uh, yes. So he, there was, Bullworth is almost all hip-hop music but, uh, and songs, but Beatty had nine minutes of score that he wanted, and he was insistent that the only person that could do it was Ennio Morricone. And the only way that Ennio Morricone would do those nine minutes was in his studio at the what's called the Forum in Rome. And unfortunately, as the head of music, I had to accompany Warren Beatty <laughs> to Rome to make sure that everything went okay. I thought I had it all knocked out and I was going to get there at 10 o'clock and be it, but I left the hotel late, and the cab driver didn't understand what I was saying, and we went to the wrong neighborhood. I get to the Forum Studios at about 10.20. Forum Studios is an odd building, and it wasn't clear where the front door was, or I was so distracted I didn't know. So I pull on one door, it's locked. I pull on a second door. I pull on a third door around back, and it's open. I figure that's the front door of Forum Studios. Must be. Of course... I open the door, I'm in a little hallway, I'm not sure where to go, I open another door and I've just walked into the room where Ennio Morricone is recording. And it's a live recording Uh session with the red lights on and I've just kind of pulled open a door a little out of breath and I've (laughs) walked onto the stage. There's a good news and bad news to this. The bad <laughs> news is fired. probably <laughs> somewhere on a queue in Bulworth is the sound of a door opening and a little bit of an out-of-breath music executive. <laughs> the good news is I actually walked in and I had the sensation, I kid you not, that I'd walked into heaven for one reason. I walked in and the music was angelic. It was so beautiful at that moment <laughs> in the room. It was like... Some scene out of, you know, I just stepped in onto a cloud or something. Here was Ennio Morricone with full orchestra. And they were playing a cue that was so rhapsodic and so beautiful. And it was so weird that I was in the room with them. I wasn't hearing it through speakers in a control room. I wasn't hearing it on the score album. I was in the room while they were recording this cue that's my Ennio Morricone moment, and I'm sticking to it. Oh, that's so it. interesting. It, it was yeah. so nice. It's like a beam of light comes down it right, was, as you're walking I, in. I can't describe <laughs> what it was like to walk in there and hear this kind of, you know, it's like, it it's be- the Simpsons. It was like this kind of <laughs> beautiful.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Did it ease your, uh, your nerves after you walk? Oh, crap, I walked in. And then it's like. Dun,
2: dun, dun, dun. Yeah. I not only wasn't nervous, I tried to blend in and make, make it clear that I was supposed to be there, and I sort of hung out for the next few cues right in that space and didn't make myself known. It's a power
1: move. You step in, you just stand there like you were meant to walk in. in I think that's what you always do, you know? (laughs)
2: Do you
0: know who I am? I'm supposed to be here, and I just stood there. (laughs) All right, well, plenty to come on Score the Podcast coming up after the break. Steve Jablonski is going to join us. We're right here in his studio, and we're going to talk... About scoring blockbusters, his big work with uh, Michael Bay and Transformers, and uh, also coming up through the ranks with uh, Hans Zimmer just around the corner at Remote Control Productions. Who he
1: idolized growing up. Oh, yeah.
0: Big time. And he actually, I think he had a similar story that uh, Ramin Javadi did about kind of coming on the scene randomly and and sneaking his way in there. But uh, we'll get to that. Uh, Stick around. We'll be right back.
1: Hey, Matt Schrader here. We're back to the show in 15 seconds, but a quick thank you to everyone who's been telling a friend about Score the Podcast. We're one of the fastest growing entertainment podcasts out there right now, and that's thanks to you, telling a friend. You're probably thinking of somebody else right now that enjoy the show. If it's safe to do so, hit pause and let them know about Score the Podcast. It helps keep this show going. Now back to the show
2: hey welcome back to score the podcast we're having some fun today Kenny and I and we have a an amazing guest with yes us.
0: excited about this one
2: really great we want to welcome we're actually welcoming Steve jablonski to his own studio because we're sitting in his wonderful room welcome to, is that why this looks thanks so for being
0: here in your own place that's oh. why it looks familiar exactly right oh thank you such guys a for cool coming studio it's like a French castle the restrooms yeah. even say
3: monsieur and I wish I could take credit but it was like that uh, when I got here, can so. you tell
2: us what was it before? Was it? It a was a studio. Oh wow! I,
3: I revamped the mix room that's to my right here, but uh, other than that, it was kind of the same, and I liked it enough that I left most of it alone.
2: I like that. How <laughs> yeah. did you find it? Just out of curiosity.
3: I was uh, at the time had my studio at Hans Zimmer's place, yeah. which is about five blocks from here. Yeah, and I'd kind of been casually looking for my own place because Hans's place is, is great, but it gets a little crazy, you know. Yeah. And uh, I think I was on a project and I I was wanting to use his mix room, but there were 10 other composers who needed it. And I'm like, I wonder if there's any other spaces around the area because I love the area, Santa Monica. And this place just went kind of live on real estate listings right when I was looking. And I came over and I said, wow, this is pretty sweet and it's the
2: right place. And just that was it. Was there... When you came back after you took a look, was there like a lump in your throat and an emotional moment with Hans? Yeah, I
3: did feel like it happened so quickly. Like, oh God, do I? How do I approach this? You know, do I go tell Hans? I actually went to his business partner first and said, um, "I found this place and I think I'm going to move out." And I, I do still feel like maybe they would like me to have not done that, uh, mm-hmm. but we're still we're still friends, and I. Uh, because now all you know, so all of my projects happen here, as opposed to there. I would still I would love to still be there, but I do like having my own. It's like moving space out of the and, house. Like
0: yeah. I'm, I'm moving uh, out. Yeah, going that, to that's college. That's a perfect place, <laughs> it's a perfect way to
3: put it. Because I learned, you know, just like you learn from your parents, I learned everything from Zimmer and Harry Gregson Williams, who I worked with a lot, and all the guys there. It's an environment where you see amazing things hourly
0: we're going to we're going to get into your okay, work good, with good, uh, good. with yes. Hans and Harry um of course Steve Jablonski you know him from the Michael Bay movies Transformers uh, the Island Pain and Gain also Peter Berg's movies uh, Deepwater Horizon Lone Survivor Battleship a lot of Mark Wahlberg
3: <laughs> flicks <laughs> there was <laughs> um, a period of my life where I I think I joked to most of my friends that I see Mark Wahlberg more than I see my wife and my kids <laughs> <It's> Amazing.
2: <laughs> anyone I know. The weird thing is he was saying the same thing about you.
0: Um, also, you have a new summer blockbuster coming out uh, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson mm-hmm. called Skyscraper, which the trailer's up, looks pretty awesome. Yeah. That was July great. 13th. On,
3: July 13th,
2: yeah. So. Now it must be for you doing blockbusters. This is like your gig, doing blockbusters. But there must have been a moment Uh, where you got the job Transformers, and I remember that, uh, hearing that you had gotten Transformers. It wasn't a Fox picture, but um, what a huge, incredible compliment that was to you. I don't know exactly how you got what the process was. Well, somebody heard your music. I'm sure Michael (laughs) Bay heard it and said, this is is really the right tone. But um, can you just tell us I'm sure you've told the story before but would you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit about how you got the gig and also what it was like to know that you had just inherited an enormous picture
3: I can actually tell you how I how I got it it's it's the same story for a lot of guys like me in this or any business where it you people help you Mm. right so I had written a good amount of music for Hans on Pearl Harbor, Mm -hmm. which Michael Bay didn't necessarily know what I was doing. He saw me around. You know, Hans doesn't hide the fact that I'm helping or whoever is helping. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he saw me around, and but I don't think he knew or particularly cared. He just wanted a good score. Sure. And I had done quite a bit for that one. And it was right around the time that Michael was starting his production company, Platinum Dunes, their first film was Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the remake. But the original was one of my favorites. I don't, I don't know what that says about me, but <laughs> I, I'm a horror fan. And they were looking for a composer to do their first film, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And uh, Bob Badamy is one of the biggest music editor, music supervisors. And there's an, uh, another gentleman, Pat Sanston, who was hmm. uh, a post-production supervisor for Michael Bay, who's, that, that's a big job, post-production. Yeah. So we were just overseeing basically everything, music, sound effects, visual effects. These guys who had Michael Bay's ear, and I think Hans got in there as well, they all said, why don't you give this guy, uh, Jablonski, a chance? Yeah. I, they, said he, they said he did a lot on Pearl Harbor, and I'd worked on Armageddon as well. Nice. My whole thing with Michael started from those guys saying, why don't you give Steve a chance? Wow. And they and Michael said, Okay. And I think I did it for, you know, a couple of dollars yeah. and uh was terrified the whole time. But at the end I remember the at the final playback of Texas Chainsaw Massacre at uh, we were all there, Michael and everybody, and Michael said to me, Boy that you did an amazing job and we didn't pay you anything. Wow. <laughs> and, so, and we everybody laughed and it was that was sort of the start, I think. I look at that as the start of my relationship with Michael. He really liked what I did for that, for that film. When and, you
0: when you come into Transformers, you've done right. other movies, you've done other uh, jobs, but this right. one, the brand, the, right. the Transformers, the the buildup, is there a lot of extra pressure on you to make sure? that I mean, how were you just circling back with the theme? I, right, you got to right, get this right. 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 You can't yeah. you can't mess this one up.
3: Yeah. Sorry, I drifted away from Transformers. Oh, was great. I was giving you <laughs> the original. No, no, I no. like that. Yeah, it, that so Transformers came all out of that and, you know, my younger brother was obsessed with it. I of course was well aware of what Transformers were and thinking back, I maybe I was just numb to everything that was going on, but I didn't I really tried not to obsess over what it was that Smart. I was about to do. Just sit down and write some music and my general motto is if i kind of feel it then then it's ready what, to play to other people was there a day
2: I, that you even can you remember driving away from a meeting kind of high-fiving yourself like wow i got the
3: gig mm,
1: i got the part I or do, i
2: just nailed that scene well i do
3: remember writing after i wrote the, scored the scene that I think you just played Ding. as Arrival Ding. to Earth. Arrival to yeah. Earth. I did that scene that week or not too f- long after I did that scene. Michael had Steven, quote, Steven yeah. Spielberg, the only Steven. That, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you just had to say Steven. <laughs> yes, that's all. And uh, over Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> Steven Seagal came over to hear right. the cue. Um, Spielberg came over to the screening room and it was just michael i wasn't there but just steven and michael and michael called me later and said yeah it's steven over he said uh he really thought that cue was great and uh, he, he loved the majesty you gave the Ooh. transformers and i you know that was a moment where i and I he, fu- he didn't i didn't know he was meeting with spielberg i didn't know anything was going on all he said was steven said and i you know i knew exactly what he was talking about and that was a that was a high five. And what a wonderful woman, wor- word,
2: the majesty.
3: Yeah, that was the nobility. And he he liked that we gave them that feel as they arrived to Earth. You which actually was feel nobility. that
2: in the cue that's in Score the Movie, where you demonstrate the mix of the French horns. Right, that right. That is majestic. Even mm-hmm. The use of French horns is kind of royal in a way.
3: Yeah, yeah. And that was the idea to to give, not just be these cartoony things or, you know, make them
2: sort of uh like give a them some guy or something yeah yeah without going overboard but it must have been exciting just to see the movie blow up and and have you suddenly be the new hot guy <laughs> you suddenly know. your name was on everybody's lips you were the guy i again i i am this is the
3: room where i spend all my hours and i shelter myself from all that stuff and i
2: Try not to think too much about it. smart because when we pulled up today, the paparazzi outside was just, (laughs) you know, it was intense to get through them. Those tour buses drive through Santa Monica, and I always (laughs) joke
3: with my wife, I'm like, oh my God, let me just duck my head. They're going to try to take my Uh, picture. It's great. Yeah, I see them. I've been recognized maybe five times in my life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When you work on, for example, Transformers, there's a lot of CGI when you work on Michael Bay movies. Um, Oftentimes, the movie's not done. And you don't really have the visuals to right. score. How difficult is that? You really have to get creative, I, I imagine, with uh, with what you're writing because you you don't know what you're seeing. Yeah,
3: it's difficult. I mean, it's even to this day, the, the film I'm doing now, Skyscraper. A lot of the skyscraper wasn't there. The fire wasn't there. Uh, but Transformers, in particular, because half the cast is CGI, um, the way they film it uh, is. There are people running around with poles that are fifty feet tall, with you know, <laughs> Optimus Prime's face at the top. Nice. Uh, it's is a cardboard cutout. Kind of his goofy face. looking. Just looks it's like very a, sign goofy a, yeah. a sign with a
1: sign with face at the top. Strictly to give face. the
3: actors an eye line to where they're supposed to be looking. Right. And they're running around, and where Optimus would be running. So that's usually what I see first. Oh, well, that's always what I see first on those films. The, the visual effects don't come in until pretty much the last minute <laughs> usually I don't know why that is I know they take a long time to render
1: and how late in the process is it do you have time to make adjustments still do you have or is it just little tweaks here and there by that because there's point, probably it's...
0: sound effects that come in and stuff too that might drown yeah. out some of your music or vice versa uh,
3: this is where you rely heavily on your music editors mm-hmm. who, <laughs> because at some point you have to say okay I need to record the orchestra now. Or we're going to run out of time. We're not going to have time to record the orchestra and mix it all. So there's a point where we, you decide this is the version of the film we're going to score with the orchestra. Anything after that will have to be edited, or you know maybe I can fix it with some samples, some orchestral samples, which we really try not to do. But g-
2: generally, we've been able to have sort you ever. Things out. Um, I've been on a couple pictures like that where the composer overscored. Because it was an animatic um or which is, you know, for those of you, you know, it's a drawing. Yeah. they are not actually scoring the scene until they get the yeah. the effects in. So and it's a series of, of concept. Saying, art, you know, basically. this will be replaced by, in this case, mm-hmm. apes in Plan of the Apes. <laughs> but until that time you're gonna look at pictures, you're gonna look yeah. at guys, you know, Andy Circus with green dots on yeah. his face looking at you as so I've been on pictures where the composer overscored when the effects came in. He went, Oh my God, yeah. it's melodramatic when it could be so much subtler in the music. Right. Did you ever overscore a guy with a pole and an Optimus <laughs> Prime and find out it doesn't need all right. that when you see the that's actual a, good, that's a Transformer? Good point.
3: I can see how that would happen if you have an Andy Circus, if you're scoring a, an actor actually giving you a performance. Yes. I don't think that ever happened uh, because. I was always trying to I always kind of knew the vibe, you know, Michael's pretty clear in his direction usually and I kind of knew the the vibe that we were going for. The animatics as you say, they they give you a very good sense of what's. The timings
0: are always different. So that's that's the pain in the butt. Do you think they ever create based on what you wrote? Because they're uh, yeah. they're creating right. constantly and you're writing seeing nothing. Yeah. So they may get your score before They've created anything. Yeah, that has happened. It'd
3: be nice if it happened more, but I think uh, often it's just they do what they want to do visually, what they feel is right, and then we will adjust. Like A good example is the whole in Age of Extinction when the Dinobots sort of come over the hill down into the the valley and save the day, basically, and there's this big dramatic cue. Michael wanted me to score that early on just because he wanted to know how it was going to sound. And, and there, were, there was nothing other than it was panning shots of a mountain <laughs> and occasionally things would blow up, <laughs> which meant something got stepped on or something got thrown. And that was that was a tough one because it, I scored it and some visuals came in, we did it again. Some more visuals came in. The timings of everything just kept changing. So difficult. And it was a constant catch up to and I and I hope what's in the movie is, is not just an edited mess. I have to look at it again. Because <laughs> you always I always that feel like
1: me, what's it like being in the room with Michael Bay, who's known for lots of action, lots right. of explosions, lots of, you know, layers of of movement all happening at the same time. But when you, you get something like that, it's not there yet, does he does he say well it's going to come in from the left whoosh like is it just is he creating lots of sound effects as you're in (laughs) these kind of spotting meetings he doesn't do the sound
3: effects thing but he does the interesting thing about Michael is that every frame is in his head and often that's the only place it is so I don't know and his editors we're all trying to get it out of his head and he will of course tell us some things but ultimately it's it's That's, he's just such a visionary guy at the, and that same cue when I scored it, he, he got a little heated at one part of the scene and said, "What? why aren't you scoring what you're seeing? Is the, was the quote. And I just kind of, I had to keep in the laughter. and I said, what, what am I seeing? Can you, can you tell me what I'm seeing? Because I don't see anything. And, but, but to him, it's there, you know, and I I understand that. He
2: actually could visualize exactly everything and thought everyone in the room saw it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's
3: exactly what's going on. In his head, it was playing properly. And, and so I it was just me trying to decipher all of <laughs> that, these things that... All these awesome. clues he was giving
0: me. Yeah. All right, coming up after the break, uh, we're going to talk to Steve about his first days working with Hans and Harry, even the, the first cue, which even has your name on it. The uh, Jablonski <laughs> Variations. The Jablonski Variations. And uh, we're also going to find out what's different about scoring fact versus fiction. But first, behind the score...
1: Behind the Score, the inside stories from Hollywood's greatest
0: filmmakers and composers. Composers have experimented for years with the blending of synths and the orchestra. When director David Fincher came on to direct The Social Network, he knew it needed a radically different sound than his previous film, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, scored by Alexandre Desplat. Fincher took a shot in the dark, reaching out to a rock star, Trent Reznor of
4: Nine Inch Nails. When David Fincher called, hey, I want you to score my next film. Fuck yeah. It's a movie about fa- Facebook. <laughs> I, I'd be hard-pressed to think of something that sounded less sexy. You know, possible rom-com yeah. might have done that. but um, you know, and Then you read the script and you realize it's actually a very compelling story. Reznor
0: had never scored a film, but a friend from the record business, Atticus Ross, had some ideas.
4: To me, I think that the music you know, it should be native. Rather than try to crash course to see how legitimate people do it, We went with our instinct of saying, what if we take the skills we know? Those skills have rocked the charts as the edgy
0: electronic rock band Nine Inch Nails. With hit songs like The Hand That Feeds, Only, and Survivalism. All reaching number one on the U.S.
4: alternative rock charts. The style represented a possible new direction for film music. And we've read these words on paper with a bit of fear like how are we going to support that we now we've seen this scene that feels sterile because there's nothing supporting it but there's action happening and you realize this power we 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 have it at, we wield in terms of how much we can shape it by trying new things and watching how radically different that film that scene plays out. So we looked for clues from David as to what he was looking for. Did you want something kind of orchestral? Did you want something that just disappears into the background? Are you looking for the Star Wars theme to somehow fit its way into that? And what we were able to extract from him was, I want it to feel kind of electronic. I want it to have its own personality. ¶¶
0: the sound they eventually unlocked was unique. Fincher suggested they use it over the opening credits to set the mood.
4: And In that important area, at the very beginning, when you're not sure what this film is, you just went through rapid-fire argument, Aaron Sorkin dialogue, into this kind of weird, unsettling, kind of sad, not triumphant tone. The whole movie feels different after that. And there's an incredible depth. You know, that character, Loneliness. You know, it's certainly a three-dimensional
2: piece.
0: The Academy recognized their breakthrough with an Oscar for Best Original Score.
4: I think my only real skill is being able to be honest and convey a kind of honest emotional connection to my work. I've screwed my career in Nine Inch Nails up because there's been lengthy periods of time where I haven't put records out. I don't feel like I have anything to say. And in the process, we we were encouraged to go further than we kind of conservatively started approaching it initially.
0: Reznor and Ross have continued to work together. They scored Fincher's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and Gone Girl, Peter Berg's Patriots Day, and last year's award-winning Ken Burns docuseries, The Vietnam War.
1: For more stories behind The Score, read Score, The Interviews, based on the international hit film Score, a film music documentary featuring raw insight from Hans Zimmer, James Cameron, Quincy Jones, Randy Newman, Trent Reznor, and many more. Score, The Interviews, available now at score-movie.com.
2: Hey, we're back with Steve Jablonski. What a fantastic start to this interview. I learned a lot of stuff that <laughs> I didn't too. know. Yeah. And um, I just think it's wonderful to hear your perspective on some of these great movies you've worked on. Um, and it's really a privilege for us to, to be with you and, well, and hear you. it. It's an honor to be here.
0: One of the first cues you worked on uh, with Hans was, had your name in the title. Can you, <laughs> right. it, it was called the Jablonski Variations. Yeah. Right. Uh, from Tears of the Sun, can you right. can you talk about why it's called the Jablonski variations sure. and, and what the story is with that?
3: Yeah, that was uh, that was actually the third or fourth film I worked on with Hans. And when we started that one, he said to me something like, "You know, let's just have some fun and write some good music." Which I thought was a pretty cool sort of pep talk. That was all it was. Uh, as we were going, this, to this was Tears film. of the Sun. Tears of said the Sun. Yes. Yeah, so. mm-hmm. And so, and we were both writing in his room, which is now, I think it's now Ramin's room is where he worked.
0: In the corner? Thing. Oh, In cool. the corner. Yeah. yeah we... That was
3: it. I remember that room. Yeah. But that was originally Hans's room. Mm-hmm. And he would write during the day, and I would come in, whatever, dinner time or after and write overnight, and then he would kind of, I, I would see him in the morning and play him what I had done and then go sleep for a few hours. Wow. Yeah, it was a little rough, but, but, you know, again, it was writing that sort of closely. Even though I wasn't right next to Hans, I was sort of pretty close to Hans while I was writing. And so we were just having fun, you know, trying to have fun, write good music, as he, as he said. And I wrote that piece uh, over... Oh, I think it was this piece that um, brought on this comment where he came in the next morning and I played it to him, what I had done... And he said, "Oh, okay, I see how it is. So we're so we're actually writing really good music now. Okay, so I'm going to step up my game." And it was something like that. Uh, and you know, to have Hans Zimmer tell you that was was pretty cool. But that's got to be one of those one of those days where you drive home or whatever. You're thinking, "Whoa!" This, I just wanted to huge. go to bed, but <laughs> after writing all night, the night shift is rough. But uh, but yeah, no, that was that was pretty cool. And the the naming of it of the track on the soundtrack was all him. Huh. He, it's you know, his sense of humor too. It is his sense of humor and just him going, this guy really busted his butt on this film. And I can't think of any other composer that would take a track on a soundtrack that says music by Hans Zimmer and call it, <laughs> put the name of the guy who was helping him huh. into the, the track title that's and throw awesome. it on the CD. That was just his, because I had worked so hard on that piece. And we could appreciate it. That's so nice, and to see your name. Um,
0: did you know it was going to be on there, or did you? Did it come out, and you're like, "Oh, uh,
3: I think he told me." I he should, he said we well, should call this something like the Jablonski variations. You know, something it classical very and important. I, I, it does, and I laughed. I didn't. I don't
2: know that I was aware that <laughs> yeah, he was okay. actually that's going yeah. to do it. We could oh. actually do an entire podcast episode on the naming of cues. Oh, yeah, because the most obvious choices are a line of dialogue in the scene you know somebody will say yeah you know don't ever come back that's the name of the queue don't but there's been a lot of right. ridiculous names that of course i'm sure you've used and yeah. people just decide and i think the most serious and epic name i've heard is the jablonski variation. <laughs> well an that that's honored. That's honored. it sounds pretty serious. It sounds like <laughs> a great movie even yeah i
3: worked on king arthur with hans as well and that has some pretty pretty epic Track names, yeah. some humorous ones. If you feel like, going <laughs> is there to some inside jokes
0: in some of those?
3: Uh, yeah, it was just a play on words of you know that sort
0: of
2: <laughs> language oh, that's nice. and... yeah. So, the so Ye old Jablonski variations. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what it'll be. Um, you know, I I know you worked with Peter Berg. Um, yeah. Strangely enough, I actually had the experience of working with Peter Berg on a couple things, and was always surprised that he was. Uh, musical yeah and um, I even there's a scene in a movie I worked on where he played guitar in the movie wow. on screen <laughs> Peter oh, Berg yeah. did. did not know that. Um, it's a it's called uh, the great white hype uh-huh. oh yeah directed by Reggie Hudlin right and he's that. an actor in it and he sits on the end of a funky <laughs> little bed and makes up a song as a rock star and it's very good Really? I always liked it. Yep. I didn't know that. He probably keeps that hid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's never mentioned it to me. <laughs> but uh, the pictures you do with Peter Berg are pretty different than the pictures you do with Michael Bay. Yeah. And I wonder if you can speak about both the difference and also the fact that the Peter Berg stories often are more about real stories right. as opposed to fictional. Does that mm-hmm. influence your writing style? Oh,
3: huge. Oh, yeah. It's a huge influence. And I do love doing that kind of thing because it's it's a totally different approach. Hmm. Like the first, I think the first one we did was Lone Survivor. Oh, great! Yeah, where um, where it was a you know fact based script as opposed. Well, the first film we did together was Battleship, which was not fact based. (laughs) You didn't know already. (laughs) Um, uh, And then uh, Lone Survivor. But uh, so when I'm writing for a film like Lone Survivor, I'm constantly in my head imagining the the wives of these men who died. Are going to sit in that theater and watch oh. this film, and God forbid I make some kind of Hollywoodized version of their husbands' life and death, and wow, that's yeah. the last thing I want to do. So I I always take sort of a subdued approach. Like everything, even heroic moments on screen, need to have a little bit of, you know, we know these guys died, so we can't, we don't want to Hollywoodize this. Is that that's a word? Yeah. So um, and the same with Deepwater Horizon, you know, people. A lot of people died. Thirteen people, I think, died mm-hmm. on that yeah. on the rig. And it's the same thing. Both of those scores have v- no orchestra, other than maybe a solo string here and there. But
0: we have a we have a cue f- uh, taming the dinosaurs.
3: This is from very early in the film. Yeah, this is as they're driving to the rig. No orchestra though here. No, it's all electronics. Pete, uh, you know he he's very into he used the band Explosions in the Sky a lot for his early films, and they have a similar kind of yeah emotion, but not it's 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 feels heroic, but at the same time it's almost sad. And I don't they they they're great at that kind of juxtaposition of.
2: It's a really beautiful way of saying it. it's heroic, but there's a little it's not melancholy, but right. it's it's a bittersweet feeling. Yeah, right. Get. And um, it's so interesting that what audience would know that you're writing with sensitivity to family members? It's really an interesting way to inform your writing. Mm
0: -hmm. You said earlier that you you started off wanting to be an engineer. Right. And the world of film music and and creating has really come into the laptop and computer era. Do you think that prepared you more for that? As yeah. opposed to, like, the classical orchestral yeah. style?
3: Definitely. I, in college, I did take music classes. There were no film scoring or electronic music classes, but mm. they were more traditional. But uh, my mother had very kindly purchased a keyboard for me that had a little sequencer built in so nice. you could program. And what I would do was program in all of the parts for John Williams' oh. scores. I did the the... Raiders of the Lost Ark suite you know with all the changes you know the beautiful suites that he does with the love theme comes in and then back to the hero the Indiana Jones theme I programmed in the trumpets and just just by ear listening because uh, that's what I guess nerdy composers do like myself <laughs> but uh, but I had I think doing that and I would do Zimmer pieces as well and I think unknowingly I learned a lot from just doing that and, and also learned about how sequencers work. A sequencer is a program that I use and most composers use where you, you program in the trumpet line and the string line and it's, you
2: know. I want to know. Just it's how you as, write a lot of times now. Yeah. Is a tech question and a little nerdy question what was the keyboard and how many tracks did it have as a sequencer in what era because I, you know I'm thinking that Casio keyboard I had I think you had two tracks yeah. a rhythm track and a little flute sound <laughs> so I think it had six, it was a
3: Yamaha SY77 SY77 I think is what it was I still mm-hmm. have it somewhere and it had a floppy disk drive where you could save these oh, Wow. <laughs> and I think it had 16 tracks Oh, I'm not entirely sure
0: and a whole sound library mm-hmm. that you could use
3: yeah
2: Great.
0: All right. We're going to take a quick break. And uh, coming up, oh, we're going to play I I Name That Score. Pressure is on. <laughs> I hope you're ready for this, Steve. Oh, uh, stick around. We will be right back.
1: Hey, Matt Schrader here, Director of Score of Film Music Documentary. For the latest news from the film music world, follow us on Facebook. Just search Score of Film Music Documentary. Or let us know who you want to hear next on the show on Twitter at Score the Podcast.
0: We're back here in Arada Studios. With our guest this week, Steve Jablonsky, and uh, Steve, I hope you're ready. I'm not. You're going to be introduced to the 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 game that's sweeping social media. <laughs> Don't forget to use that hashtag. It's name that sh- score. Poker. It? Oh, it's time. <laughs> Hit it, Matt. Ooh. Get
1: ready to play. Name that score. <laughs> <laughs> the film music game where a perfect score means you, yes, you, could be a winner. Now let's play Name That Score!
2: Wow. You can see how seriously we take the game. Did you bring Henry uh, back from the grave to write that? (laughs) That That was very nice. nice. That's right. Again,
1: uh, it's very tasteful. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Uh, So here's the way this game plays. Uh, Name that score. We play five famous film scores, but in reverse. These have all been flipped. So you'll choose from three multiple choice answers. The fifth and final question is worth double points. If anyone sweeps the table, gets all of these. Uh, we give away a prize to our listeners. And uh, because the best scores have a theme, so does today's game. And the theme today is sports movies. Yeah. Ooh. batter up. Mm hmm. So uh, Backwards some of Backwards these
3: you'll recognize, they get progressively <laughs> difficult as we go along So here. I have to get all of them right, and then someone
2: will win? Or somebody yeah. does, yeah. Somebody, somebody does. Oh, if it's, it's any of playing. us get them right, then we oh, give away good. a I have a very tried and true technique. I listen to what the composer says, because <laughs> okay. they're almost always right, <laughs> oh, and God. then I agree. So
1: Robert always gets the first <laughs> or second, and then we make him go last. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. So here we go. Question one. Is this the music from A League of Their Own by Hans Zimmer, Chariots of Fire? Or Moneyball by Michael Dana. Did you work on Moneyball?
2: I didn't. Okay. Uh, But I liked it. Here we go. Question (laughs)
1: one.
0: (laughs) Robert's raising his hand. Robert knows. (laughs) And he did it in slow motion, too.
2: I (laughs) am going to say with great certitude (laughs) that it is Vangelis, Chariots of Fuego. Everybody says chariots. Yep. Yep. Oh, look, it sounds almost the same
1: when you play it the other way around. (laughs) That's the magic. All (laughs) right, so points for everybody on that. I I remember
0: in the playground running around in fake slow motion to that song. I think everyone probably has that story. (laughs) We'll we'll talk about this later. (laughs) I think that it's
2: something I'm not sure you want to share with the audience.
0: (laughs) Question two. I was
1: by myself, too. The music (laughs) from Jerry Maguire. Rocky, or Caddyshack. I think it's important. Do we know the composers of each yeah. one? Yeah, Nancy Wilson for Jerry Maguire, Rocky, Bill Conti, or uh, Caddyshack, Johnny Mandel. Whew.
2: Good to know. Here we go. Steve's not in his head. <laughs> I
3: mean, huge influence on me as a kid, should I say? Yeah, go you for go it. Bill Conti,
2: Rocky. All right. Everybody, I I, I, am, I am so certain that Steve is correct because of the way he his body language <laughs> the minute he heard it. What I'm what set
3: there. it off?
0: What set it off for you?
3: I just know that theme. You could play it backwards, <laughs> yeah, and I'll know it. The texture, uh, is yeah, pretty, the, the sound. I'm, I'm trying the to 70s get the, I'm trying
0: to get a sense of what the composers are listening for versus uh, us just being like, oh, that's a song. You you probably I, hear certain instruments stand out. That one's that, a little more obvious though. The, brass so the first two that
3: score has a very specific, from that era, It's even sound. a register.
1: It's yeah, a register of the brass yeah. playing. It it's so of, good. Yeah. Points for everybody on that one. Right so on. everyone is perfect so far. The questions are getting a little tougher here. So Uh-oh. question
2: three. It's like HQ.
1: Is this The Natural by Randy Newman, Sea Biscuit also by Randy Newman, or Space Jam by James Newton Howard, who's uh, just the next building over? Robert thinks he knows. Mm -hmm.
2: I'm going with the final cue in the Natural, where the ball goes over the fence and it knocks the lights out.
3: Mm -hmm. That's the Natural.
0: I'm going to go with Robert's choice (laughs) on (laughs) that. Although it kind of reminded me of The Sandlot a little bit, just just hearing it. That's the junior version of the Natural, (laughs) actually, narratively.
1: (laughs) And
3: Steve, yeah, the Natural. Randy Newman, another hero of mine. Yes,
1: it is from The Natural. Great score. Oh, Great score.
2: God. A real breakthrough for Randy Newman. Did they use
0: that in the Sandlot? <laughs> <laughs> I think they've used it in other films for sure. Yeah, I, I wonder though. if it's in the Sandlot, because yeah, that immediately funny. set a trigger Could for me. Be. on. Yeah, it's very possible. Yeah. That's good. All right, so
1: three for three, everybody. we got two questions like left. They're the correct. There, uh, <laughs> there <laughs> is a bonus question, which we may oh. get to if, uh, if we're still tied up at the end. Uh, but we'll move on to question four. Is this from... Remember the Titans, Trevor Raven; Hoosiers, Jerry Goldsmith, or Cool Runnings by Hans Zimmer. Did you work on Cool Runnings? I did not. You did not. That was before my time. Remember the Titans,
0: Hoosiers, Cool Runnings. I'm going to go with Remember the Titans. That's my guess, Trevor.
2: I'm feeling strongly that to go in any other direction would be a mistake. I'm going to remember the Titans.
0: <laughs> it is remember the Titans. I just—I always think of Trevor Raven's story in the documentary score. Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. You've—you've you've heard this a million he didn't, times. He didn't ask. Which I wasn't particularly oh, right. happy about at uh, <laughs> the uh,
1: Obama victory <laughs> right. night speech. Yeah. That. Trevor's such a good guy. Yep. All right, Great so guy. four for four. So we're we're uh, we might have a bonus question. This last question's worth double. Doesn't matter for us because we're all tied up. So if one of you gets this one wrong, then uh, we got to stick
0: together here so someone wins a prize. Don't yes. We. Don't go rogue, Robert. <laughs> <laughs>
1: here we go. Question five: Is this uh, "Radio" by James Horner? Rudy. Jerry Goldsmith or Miracle by Mark Isham. Steve's nodding his head.
2: Fruity. Is it? Yeah. Sean Aston. <laughs> yep, I'm feeling stronger that Steve is correct. Look at that
1: move really, Robert did. He gave yeah. a little
0: a little point with the pen. Yeah. Uh,
1: what what, is it? what do you think, Steve? What do you think? Are you, you Rudyizing?
0: <laughs> if you were on Jeopardy, you'd just be like peeking over at the screen. <laughs> what are you writing? Popery for two hundred. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna. Steve was so confident. Radio Rudy Miracle. um Rudy. God, I hope. Let's I'm go, right. Rudy. Please be right. Oh, points for everybody! Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. I suddenly had fear that I was wrong, so but
3: now it's just such an iconic phrase
1: that line. So great, Jerry You're Goldsmith. Right. Yeah, oh, Goldsmith. Of course. All right, so this means everybody has run the table. Yes. We got a bonus question that bonus we're going uh, to play here. I do have options for this one, um, and uh, we'll see. I, I have a feeling this one may, uh, based on. Well, we'll go ahead and play Scarous. Question number six Uh oh Is this Creed By The Louis band? Doronson? Oh, the movie <laughs> the band.
0: With arms one Is
1: this Friday Night Lights <laughs> uh, Explosions in the Sky Or is this Moneyball Michael Dana <laughs> We're gonna make Kenny go first
0: mm-hmm. Choices again Choices are Creed, uh, Friday Night Lights, and Moneyball. I'm gonna go with Friday Night Lights. Robert. Is that the explosions in the sky score?
2: <laughs> because that's the Maybe. band. I
1: was a little yes. too heavy handed with <laughs> yes, this earlier, I wasn't I? <laughs> yes, that's the one. <laughs> yes, Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights, it is. And uh here is that uh the actual score in forward. These guitars has this been used for temp music on anything you've worked on? Um, that's a good question.
3: I don't think so. It may have been used in uh, Lone Survivor because they were a part of that score.
2: Mm. Oh, really? Origi- originally, yeah. we
3: were supposed to we were supposed to write together, but uh, they they asked Pete and I fully admire this and respect this. They said, "Can we try to do this on our own?" And huh. and Pete called me and said they, I said, yeah, that's fine, whatever. And I would have loved to work with them. But somewhere, at some point down the road, Pete called me and said, can you come in and just, there's, there's some scenes that we'd like you to do. And I said, fine. And so it's just, I would have liked to work with the guys, but yeah.
2: I understand them wanting so, to do it by themselves.
1: Well, since everybody's perfect, we haven't had this uh, yet. We're going to have to I'm make gonna, the I questions I have a bonus question.
2: I have a bonus question, number seven, which Uh-oh. is not musical. It's a six <laughs> degrees of separation, really random bonus question for all of you. It's a, an entertainment question. Yep. Should we can play you... our
1: outro first?
2: Uh, Yes. <laughs> we need to, to bookend the he game. Did. we got to get out of that. Can anyone here tell me the relationship between the series Friday Night Lights, not the film, the series, mm-hmm. and the film that Steve scored, Battleship? Do you know the connective tissue? I know one. There's only one that I can think of, and you may know it. Is
1: it the actor? Correct. Um, What's his name? Ah, (laughs) It's a big shot now.
0: Rihanna. It's not Rihanna. Rihanna. Oh, no. Do you know the actor's Uh, name? It's
2: it's Landry uh, from Friday Night Lights. Correct. That's my question. It's the six degrees of separation. You may have to drop away from winning a prize (laughs) on this. (laughs) Taylor Kit is our right. winner of the day. Thank you. That's I didn't know he was question. in the show. Oh yeah. He was I have the, to admit that. He was the star of the, he was the star. one yeah. of the stars of the series and then I know that Battleship was both a huge get for him as yeah. a and also turned out to be maybe not so
3: beneficial. Right, right. You never know with these you never these know. Things. That's
2: one of the nice things about the entertainment business. Every day is a guess. Yeah. If if oh.
0: Alex Trebek decides to retire Robert Kraft. I would. If Alex Trebek
2: marries, that. that's what I thought you were going to say.
0: <laughs> Six degrees of separation. Right.
2: I think we had one more question for Steve. I know I did. I was always interested in the fact that the movies, the Transformer films, had a big rock song at the end. Right. Either a Linkin Park song and then Imagine Dragons. Mm-hmm. Did you, you mentioned Explosion in the Sky, how you wanted to work with them. Did you ever have a chance to work with the bands? Would those songs just come in and be tacked on to the end of the movie?
3: Fortunately, I can say that I did get to work with these amazing bands. Uh Linkin Park was the first they came in to the studio uh because I, I don't know whose idea it actually was if it was Michael's or mine or everyone's idea to have to not just tack it on at the end mm. but to actually have elements of the song in the score throughout so that when it plays at the end it's not just a song at the end it's it means something more. Yeah and the Lincoln Park guys were great. They came in, they gave me all their tracks and we recorded some new tracks, you know, all around but all based around the song and yeah. so I had this huge library of of their stuff. Nice. that I used that I could say, "Well, that that piano phrase from that song could work really nicely oh, here." That's great. Oh, cool. And I would write strings around it or whatever and and the same with Imagine Dragons. Even that was a, another level where I went to their studio in Vegas and we recorded a bunch of stuff they recorded on my themes we didn't just focus on their song they i would put up my themes and they would just riff and do these amazing things and i'd be like wow this is amazing
0: that is so cool yeah. do you ever sit back i mean you have such a cool story just giving hans a call do right. you ever sit back and just go this is crazy that, oh, yeah. that this this path happened
3: yeah, when people ask, I go. I really don't know how it all happened. How I ended up in a room with Imagine Dragons. Uh, I was going to say you're so and...
2: kind of humble. Not even kind of. You're so humble about the fact that you were sitting with two of the biggest rock bands on the planet, right. working on music together, which is just wonderful. This and, whole period
1: working with Hans and, yep. and growing up, listening to se- uh, You yeah.
2: know, did you ever? <laughs>
1: would you have ever thought that? No. Ten years from then, five years from then, you would be writing music and Hans would be saying, Wow, that's pretty good. Nope. I guess we're gonna have to write great music now for this nope. movie. No, <laughs> th- not even for a second.
2: I think it's actually fitting that your 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 career's actually hit a peak with doing score the podcast. I mean I, <laughs> it's I don't all know how you to <laughs> have a match <laughs> it yeah you yeah. retire this was the <laughs> I would say that today would be kind of a good day to say, you know, after this, what else is there?
0: You you said you had a John Williams story. Yeah. It's
3: kind of like what you just mentioned about the Zimmer saying you know wow, that's a great piece of music uh, I the first I think my first exposure to film score was owning the Star Wars album the vinyl when I was seven mm-hmm. and I remember holding it and looking opening it and there's Darth Vader's face and just loving this music without really even understanding why I was and so I think a lot of composers will tell you that same story. John Williams sure. introduced them to this idea of, oh, people write music for movies. It doesn't just magically appear in films. Somebody mm-hmm. has to write that. Um, uh, but we share the same, I'll make it quick. We share the same agent, John and I. So I get invited to his big Hollywood Bowl concert every year. Yeah. yeah. And the first time I went, this was years ago, I five years or so ago, I, I, uh, because we shared the same agent they invited me backstage sure. after the show and uh, Michael Gorfain, the, my agent uh, introduced me to John and said John this is Steve Jablonski and of course I'm
2: you know <laughs> trying to keep it together
3: cuz he's standing right there and he goes oh yeah Steve I I I know a lot about you I've you know I've been wanting to meet you and it Whoa. it looked like he was being genuine whether he was lying or not I don't, I don't care John Williams has No, an I know. ungenuine human no, in his body. No, he's he's the most genuine human and, yeah. and, and uh, also a humble human being considering what he's done. But and I was like, well, well, I don't even know what I said. I can't remember <laughs> what I said to that. But the fact that he knew that's wonderful. Yeah, that I, I mean I and don't then know, the know what else to say just came. thinking about it now. The ambulance well, yeah. was say, carried I blacked away.
2: out. You didn't hear the second part of the conversation which is John Williams saying to Gorfaint why is Jablonski getting all those gigs and I'm not Mike you gotta
0: jump in there he was, he's envious of you Oh, alright well Steve we want to thank you again uh, for having us in your studio and joining us on the podcast uh, reminder to the listeners this is a new podcast we're trying to get the word out so please tell a friend if you like what you're hearing and uh, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform also uh, make sure to follow us at score the podcast on Twitter and uh, use that hashtag name that score because we are giving away a prize this week. Hey, for Matt Schrader, Kenny Holmes, I'm Robert Kraft. I want to
2: thank Steve for welcoming us and sharing so much hey, of your Tom. great story with us. Thank you. Score of the Podcast is genuinely thrilled to have you as a guest today. Thank you very much.
4: thanks, Kenny, Robert, and Matt.